0: Welcome to EHS on tap. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor in chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, about a new California workplace violence prevention law. And now on to the interview. So Hector, thanks for uh, coming back on. It's great to talk to you as always. Um, tell me about this new California workplace violence law. What sort of what's in it and what does it require?
1: So, here's what's really interesting. You know, there's been a, uh, an, an effort by Cal-OSHA, you know, our, our occupational health uh, group, probably for five or six years in the background. And I, I think the, the legislature just got, I don't know, bluntly frustrated and pushed forward their, their own bill. And it modeled a little bit of the existing law in California that's tied specifically to healthcare. Uh, it passed and was signed uh, on the 30th of last month of September by the governor. And it's interesting. It's actually easier to describe who it doesn't cover than who mm-hmm. it, is, it impacts. Um, if you already are compliant with the CalOSHA 3342, you don't have to comply with this one. Um, if you have a company with 10 or less employees who don't interact with the public, you don't have to comply. And then. Police departments and correction uh, departments are the only other ones that aren't included. Hmm. Everybody else is included in the full scope.
0: And and what is it? And it basically requires you to
1: uh,
0: put together a workplace violence prevention plan, correct?
1: It, it does. There's, there's about six very specific elements. And that, that first piece, you, you hit the nail on the head, is coming up with the plan and then documenting that plan. And it goes into how we develop the plan, how you... Uh, how you demonstrate that you got your your employees' involvement in the development? How you assess the workplace for hazards? How employees can communicate them uh, to you? So it, it's very specific in, in mm-hmm. what goes into that plan.
0: Um, and yeah, like how does this compare with what was previously on the books in California?
1: Well. Um, it doesn't at all because there has not been anything officially on the books in California, mm-hmm. you know, minus the healthcare industry and very specific healthcare operators. Uh, we didn't have anything other than the general duty clause, which uh, you know our Cal OSHA had been using. There was a horrific workplace shooting earlier in the year, and Cal OSHA cited those two mushroom forms with uh, 42 separate citations for failure to evaluate and recognize the hazard not having a mechanism to alert the employees about the workplace emergency and we definitely saw those elements make its way into the bill you know employers now have to have a way to evaluate a hazard and then communicate that hazard as it's developing and then in addition if there's a workplace emergency how you communicate to your staff
0: um does is that, is this sort of uh, differ from what's being done across the country? Is it, is it kind of uh, leading the way, would you say?
1: Yeah, there, there, are, there are guidelines that have been established, and, you know, whether it's the Fed OSHA or State Department OSHAs, uh, other than healthcare-specific workplace violence standards, this is the first one in the nation that is general industry. Interesting.
0: Do you think that's going to – other states are going to follow suit, or are they going to kind of wait and see what happens here?
1: I believe others will follow suit. I, I know, you know, I was sitting in the, the standards development meetings for the 3342, the healthcare standard, and Fed OSHA was in there. You know, we saw other um, state level uh, groups in there kind of listening and monitoring. And I, I think that, well, I don't think we know, you know, violence in healthcare is kind of one of the, the, the dominant industries, but it seems to be both a little anecdotally and then statistically. Um, that we're seeing an increase in workplace violence, and so I think there's a renewed interest in protecting employees.
0: Um, how you know? So you, you've got the July 1st, 2024 deadline to, to be doing this. How should employers prepare for this?
1: Very seriously, very seriously. When I when I take a look and I go you know item by item of the the issues that uh, need to be addressed for compliance. Um, even one or two of them are daunting. You know, let me just pull out just the training piece. It's very specific that the training has to be interactive and be delivered by somebody knowledgeable on the plan. And so that means an off-the-shelf, kind of canned CBT program is not gonna work. Um, Somebody is gonna have to know the program elements and be able to answer the questions in a timely manner. Now, the challenge is this law hasn't been challenged. There have been no lawsuits. So we don't have any precedent to to fall back on, but the word effective is woven through the document in, in several ways. Um, logging is now a piece that didn't exist before. We're going to have to do that as well. Um, a system for employees to report their concerns and then have them responded in a uh, in a timely manner. If you've got one shop, I don't think it's going to be that but that that challenging to conduct a workplace assessment. Of both the facility and what your employees do. But if you have multiple facilities and, and multiple classifications of employees, I, I think you're going to have to. And so I think similar to doing, you know, conducting a you know, job safety analysis mm-hmm. from a, a physical hazard perspective, I can see some ver- version or variant of that being necessary for this.
0: Do you think um, there's going to be, like, I, I guess, what, have you heard? Of any reaction from folks or people,
1: you know, on board with this or people upset? You know, it's, it's been a mixed bag, you know, several of my clients have come to me and, and it's kind of a broad spectrum of people i talk to and they have many of the elements in place. They're just not pulled together in one document. And so that's, that's really what, what at one level it is, is let's just take everything we're doing and make sure that we can prove that we're doing it. I think that's the compliance side of it. That's going to be important. It's not just that you've done the training, who is there, and did it meet the required elements? And so that adds a new wrinkle. Uh, we have other people who believe uh, very strongly that, you know, they have no exposure to workplace violence, don't understand the foundation of the standard, and are, are trying to figure out, you know, what are the implications of not doing it right away. And so I, I see this big mix. The majority of people that I think have a let's call it a. A small to medium sized business, are taking this serious, and are, are going to try to comply with it.
0: Do you think there'll be any leeway from uh, from the state, at least the first time around? You know, since this has never been done before, like in terms of, you know, if you don't, you know, if you're if you're making progress but you're not all the way there,
1: they might cut you a little break at first. I I doubt um, that that's going to be necessary because I I don't anticipate that there's going to be a huge enforcement. Um, mm-hmm unless there's an incident. And if there's an incident, I think Cal OSHA is going to show up and do investigation, and I don't think there will be any leeway. So unless I think you do one of the like the voluntary uh, consultations with Cal OSHA, I don't think anybody's just going to show up and check to see if you've got it. However, mm-hmm. I do feel like employees are more aware of requirements. And so I think either a complaint or an incident is going to have somebody knocking on your door.
0: Uh, are employers generally uh, aware of this? Or is there a lot of, you know, is the, is the word out or do they need to be educated on this uh, to kind of, you know,
1: get up to speed? Yeah, Drew, I think that's a good thing. I think the word is out and that's because one of the earlier provisions of the bill, actually two of them, but one insignificant, got nationwide attention because it had a provision in there that called out uh, retail stores um, and people that interact with the public and made a specific requirement that employees could not be required to be involved in loss prevention. So if somebody's shoplifting, your cashier could not be required as part of their job to stop them or interfere. Uh, and it was very specific in that. And the the rub, the reason it got attention, it sounded like the bill was given a free pass to shoplift. Mm-hmm. There was also a mandate that everybody had to, to it required very specifically, active shooter training. In the last version of the bill the governor signed, those two elements were removed, but it got a lot of coverage. It got a lot of press. So people are aware of the bill. And there's still people that call me upset about the fact that they they either have to hire security or we basically they can't address shoplifting. And they were surprised to find out that that element was taken out. And it was.
0: Uh, Were you surprised that those were taken out or did you did you expect that?
1: And I hoped for that. Both yeah. the California Chamber of Commerce and uh, the uh, California Retail Association were fighting really hard because you're looking at gas stations, you're looking at retail yeah. stores, they have one or two people, and they do have collateral duties. I mean, it, it sounds good in a vacuum if I've got a store with 100 employees not to do a collateral duty. So the one size all didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And it really felt like it was heavy on the retail side. and And I think you know, when you look at the history of how this bill has developed, there was the tragic shooting at the uh, Santa Clara Valley Transit. Mm-hmm. That got some attention and that happened to be in the district of the, the author of the bill. And, and then there was some pretty significant incidents from a loss prevention perspective where sometimes the, the person who was either accused of stealing or the person who was trying to stop it, people were losing their lives. Yeah. It just seemed like something different needed to be done. And so I think it started out with, we have to do something. And then as we looked at it and, and the powers that, 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 that support their industries, I think did a convincing argument of the need to create something that could be sustained.
0: Um, how long was this in the works for?
1: It feels like less than a year.
0: Really? So pretty quick turnaround.
1: Yeah, I now what was helpful was, you know, we had the existing 3342, the standard out of Kalosha, and then Kalosha, and this is where I think the frustration came from, had been working on a general industry standard, 3343, and they've gone through two or three iterations, draft iterations, they're posted out there, and there is some legislative incentive now for Kalosha to finish that work, to develop a template uh, it's embarrassing to admit, but if you go in and you search Cal OSHA for security standards, there's a standard, there's a guideline, a security guideline that's currently on their website that is, I think, over 20 years old, Oh wow. and that's really the last update that you'll find. And, mm-hmm. and so, I, I think both from the instance that have occurred from the state and this, this legislative incentive, uh, Cal OSHA has a, a renewed uh, interest.
0: Do you feel that this law will be effective uh, you know in in reducing workplace violence?
1: Um, yes, Will it be effective for everybody? No. Um, you know the, the the nuanced pieces in this are you have to be able to recognize what a hazard is and then respond appropriately. And I think everything else around it, it comes down to those two things. recognizing the hazard, And then what to do. You know, we we have become so attuned to other workplace safety issues, you know, three points of contact on a ladder, uh, you know, confined space and how deep we can go. And I think it's ingrained in multiple Mm -hmm. people recognize that. I think until we get that way with workplace violence considerations, um, how effective is going to be questionable?
0: Yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, these these things keep happening all the time. you know, the, the shooter up in Maine, that kind of started as a, a workplace violence thing where he's threatened to shoot up the Army base there. And, you know, and obviously wasn't, you know,
1: dealt with you know, in time to kind of prevent him from, from acting out. Well, and it's even a little early for us to, to have a, a, you know, a clear understanding of what happened. But we are already seeing, you know, several indications that <clears throat> we were aware of the threat to the base, mm that he self-reported to a, a mental health facility. Sidebar, we know that the vast majority of people who have a mental health issue are not violent. Uh, it can be a theme, but if we take the mental health issue and then the, the self-reported you know, propensity towards violence, we're hearing some issues that his family made reports because they were concerned. Right. We're hearing there may have been a domestic element um, and this is the frustrating thing for everybody who works in this industry. I've worked thousands of cases and investigated and researched them. And it's almost always the case that there were missed warning signs. And when I say missed, I mean I really should say ignored or not understood. Yeah. It, it's interesting when we find out later all this stuff, but nobody had access to it. You know, the guy stayed at home in his basement. That's rarely the case. I mean, there's so often these glaring indicators that there's a problem and it's just not pulled together. That's that's where I think this will help. You know, I think a, a few people get stung that the fact that they didn't have an assessment program and you'll start seeing that incentive.
0: Did the state provide any guidance for employers on where to kind of how to put together their plan or is it are people just kind of on their own scrambling around googling stuff?
1: It, it, it's the latter, you know. It's yeah. the wild west. Uh, there is no guidance. There's, there's a lot of elements that were you know Frankenstein from different policies and and standards, um, but no, how you comply with it on an individual basis is so different. Um, you know, I, I think there's what what how you train an employee who goes out and does sales is going to be different than how you train a cashier. Um, your your hazards. Now, I I think there's some standards that are just hardwired into it. And for everybody that's that's listening to this or reading this, I think becoming an expert in recognizing the the four categories of violence and the associated risk is your jumping off point. You know, the, the, the criminal violence. Well, what what from a criminal perspective, what is somebody want to take? You know, cash and drugs are big incentives. Things that aren't tied down are easy to take. Um, from a customer perspective, which is type two, do you do you work with people? And provide a service. Do you serve alcohol? Do you tell people no? I mean, there's some risk factors for each mm-hmm. category. That with just a little bit, just a little bit, of research, uh, that's what I think you have to start. You have to understand those four categories and how they apply to your organization.
0: Go over the uh, the other two. You you uh, mentioned criminal and customer.
1: So the the second one is customers. <laughs> the third is uh, violence from either a current or past coworker. And so, do you have a, a population that, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension between staff and, and the organization, do you not have an effective uh, HR process for managing behavior? Um, if you have a larger group, just statistically, you, you have a, an increased area of, of potential, but that interaction between employees. The last one is the one that I think is often overlooked, and that has to deal with interpersonal violence domestic violence and you know it 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 still feels icky to a lot of people when I talk about it in training because it feels so personal but the person who's looking to hurt somebody knows where they work right I mean that and that's just a constant and and that's what's challenging so do you have a domestic violence awareness program do you support your employees if they're going through a crisis Um, it's different it's this whole kind of you know fourth leg but it's probably the most frequent call that we go out to support.
0: I mean, and you know, and, and a lot of times that's sort of the root cause, even if it takes form in a different a different way. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot a lot of times it's sort of those personal relationships that that lead
1: to problems, right? Yeah, and it's almost like it should be described as personal relationships because it's not just domestic in that it's you know a husband and wife or a couple. We have situations where employees date people they shouldn't, they date each other. Just everything that happens in society occurs in the workplace, but it it feels like it's personal, so it's not addressed at the same level. And I think that's the challenge.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, So getting back to the California law, um, you know, how do you sort of advise companies to kind of proceed uh, as they sort of, you know, wade into this thing and, and, you know, try to, you know, create their own plans?
1: You know, pull a team together. Uh, this is this is far more, you know, broader responsibility for one person, even though the bill calls out, you know, identify a person or persons that are responsible for this. Pull your team together. You know, there's there's definitely a lot to be leveraged from a health and safety perspective. You know, your, your safety person, I, I think, has a lot of knowledge in conducting workplace hazard assessments, the JSA's, you know, the, the investigation process. HR is going to be involved because You know, one element, and again, I said one thing could be explosive. We have to keep a violent incident log. The log has to explain what happened, what was the nature of attack, who was involved. And so there's a lot of personal details about the incident, but we have to maintain privacy. Post a log that that has all these details, but it has to, you know, maintain its confidentiality. And I I think it's things like that that you want HR to weigh in on. Right. I think we need our legal team to make sure that the the, the policies capture not just our intention, but they do it in a way that, that we can accomplish. I mean it has we have to be able to sustain this. And and then without a doubt, <clears throat> there's definitely an influence for labor to be involved and that's called out in the bill. And so you have to have a way to show that your employees had a hand in identifying and communicating hazards. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a team approach is really the point. And so this is not a a bill to to kick over to somebody's desk as a project, have them write a policy and then distribute it. that that's not going to be compliant and that you're you're not going to be successful.
0: yeah, seems like sounds like a, a lot of work uh, ahead for uh, for pretty much all these companies. and and you sort of and you see this sort of uh, you know sort of trickling across the country as uh, as as other states kind of uh, become
1: aware of this. I, I do, you know, because the elements in there, the vast majority of them are extremely useful. You know, when mm-hmm. when I get called into organizations in California or wherever, you know, I'll, I'll ask a standard question is, you know, what what's your rate of occurrence? Is this is the issue of violence something that you have to deal with on a regular basis? And I usually get, you know, a shoulder shrug and a blank look because it's not being tracked. You know, it, it's not a risk event that is on the radar. And so they don't know. And I don't know how you can address a problem if you're unaware of how frequently it occurs. So just from you know capturing the rate of occurrence, we're going to see an improvement. Um, the the annual requirement for training and awareness, I, I think that's going to help out because we have to get people comfortable coming forward. Um, you know one one theme that exists a lot in safety is this you know, this theme of psychological safety. You know getting people comfortable coming forward. What I experience very often in cases of workplace violence is, is the opposite of that, you know, right. organizational betrayal, what they have felt like they, they were left out or they're taken advantage of. And, and so in the middle of that, you know, organizational development themes, you know, how you interact and support your staff, I think it's going to become a much bigger focus, either intentionally um, because you decide it's the right thing to do or this is going to force your hand.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, Hector, thank you so much for coming on and uh, and giving us the uh, the info on this. This is uh, be, be definitely a key thing to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, it's definitely you know, time as you're
0: in California to roll up your sleeves. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, Jay. That wraps up Episode 183 of EHS On Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening and I hope to join me next time.